Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support creative control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Spencer Tweedy is a musician and writer based in Chicago, Illinois. Along with his brother Sammy, Spencer often plays music with his father, Jeff Tweedy, most recently releasing an album together called Love is the King in 2020. The whole family, including Spencer's mom, Susan Miller Tweedy, uh, get together a few times a week at 9 p.m. and they go on uh, Instagram Live uh, to share a variety program they make together called The Tweedy Show. Collaborating with Lawrence Azarad, Spencer recently wrote a beautiful and insightful book called Mirror Sound, The People and Processes Behind Self-Recorded Music, which features inspiring profiles uh, of people like Sharon Van Etten, Letitia Tamko, Bradford Cox, Suzanne Chiani, Mac DeMarco, the late Emmett Rhodes, Namdi, Tunyards, and more. Mirror Sound was published on October 20th by Prestel, a division of uh, Penguin Random House. And just before the end of that month, I caught up with Spencer to ask him about living in America in 2020 and, and how he felt while on the cusp 
of the presidential elections results. What inspired the book Mirror Sound and, and how all of this home recording might relate to how so many of us have been forced to work from home during the COVID-19 pandemic. His dad's somewhat similarly instructive new book, How to Write One Song, and other things. We talked about a lot of different things. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 586th episode of Creative Control, featuring the talented and wise beyond his years, Spencer Tweedy, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Of a natural Hi, Spencer. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. It's nice to uh, nice to chat with you. First of all, where in the world are you? I'm in Chicago. Uh, how are things in Chicago? They're pretty good. Um, <laughs> things have been, yeah, as good as I th- I th- it's 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 pretty safe. It's it's going okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's fair. Now, yeah. as we're speaking, people are going to hear this. Uh, after your country has its big uh, election. And so uh, your opinions about things may change by the time people hear this, but I thought I'd get your perspective on what this year has been like for you, uh, both with, uh, you know, the pandemic and the way uh, your country's leadership has been dealing with that, but also, uh, you know, social unrest, uh, people speaking out, people being isolated. I feel like it's very telling that you have a book about people working in isolation. I'm sure people have brought this to your attention already. It's been a weird mm-hmm. time. What is your general perspective on how things have gone <laughs> for you in 2020? Well, I I just have a lot of frustration and a lot of anger at people who, um, to me, it feels like they're deliberately warmongering and drumming up conflict I'm talking about I I mean I think it's appropriate to to just say who they are and what it is I'm talking about Republican Congress people Republican senators Mm. who are talking about why it's okay for authorities to go and arrest people in unmarked rented minivans off the street and take them to locations where none of their family members or friends know where they've been taken and telling people that Democrats are planning some sort of coup and in doing in in telling people that they're encouraging people to basically go and arm themselves and prepare for worst case scenarios. But in reality, I don't think anybody who's trying who's protesting or who's trying to make the country better right now is interested in violence or interested in making things even scarier than they already are right now. They're interested in using their voices and in calling for things to get better and for things to be more inclusive and for people to have access to more resources. So I think that they're drumming up conflict in an extremely selfish and scary way. And I just hope that, you know, what they are like perversely hoping for or trying to like concoct doesn't actually end up happening and people just end up being vocal and 
trying to preserve our rights and like be loud about their identities because I think when people are become afraid to go outside and become afraid to go exercise their right to gather and protest, then things are that's that's maybe the scariest outcome of all. Yeah, you're expressing frustration and anger. You've alluded to fear. Are you yourself afraid living in Chicago, living in America right now? A little bit, but, you know, mostly I'm not because I am a really privileged person and, you know, I have the privilege to stay away from where the majority of conflicts go down and... I'm also privileged to be in have an identity and an outward presenting, you know, appearance that doesn't make me the target of a lot of like the worst hatred out there, even though I am Jewish. But, you know, I'm generally pretty insulated in that way. Mm. But, you know, it's funny because the problems that Chicago has are pretty widespread, um, but there are also at the same time exaggerated. And they've also been they've they've been used as a political tool to make it seem like b- urban environments are like full of dangerous people and and it's used as like an illustration of uh or in a, a justification of racist ideas but it is true that there is a lot of danger in chicago thankfully i feel able to g- go about you know normal life and we just kind of try to be as smart about where we are and when we're outside and 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 what we're doing. Yeah. Now, as I say, we're speaking. Uh, just to be clear, I'll, I don't normally date uh, an interview because I you never know when it might actually circulate. But as we're speaking, it is October thirtieth. It is about twelve after one p.m. Mountain Time. I'm calling you from Edmonton. So your the election is on the third. Mm-hmm. Say it. What. Like what, when you think about the two possibilities there, and I think there may be more than two. There's the the opportunity for sweeping change. Uh, mm-hmm. Senate, the Senate and the House could be controlled by the Democratic Party. The White House could be controlled by the Democratic Party, or it might not go that way somehow. I, I personally, I think it's going to go that way based on everything I'm reading from up here. You can't tell what I'm reading mm-hmm. up here in Canada, Spencer, but I'm reading some stuff. <laughs> and it tells me that it's going to go that way, not in a in a way that I view as negative, which would be mm-hmm. maintaining what's going on now. So yeah, that's just and I I, I think all of this might ap- apply to your book and the figures in your book and the choices they've made a little bit uh, going forward, particularly as this pandemic is going to be with us for some time. But anyway, let's just imagine those two scenarios: uh, one mm-hmm. where uh, what let's say. Do you agree with me that if the Democrats take over, it'll probably be better, first of all? Let me say that. Oh, absolutely. There's no okay. question about it <laughs> okay. to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think you're leaning that way. I feel the same. So let's say yeah. it goes that way. What kinds of change? And, and you know what? Let's just concentrate on that. Let's let's, let's assume that's going to happen and not even dwell yeah. on the, the prospect of a nightmare scenario where it doesn't go that way. What do you anticipate mm-hmm. happening uh, tonally? Maybe just in terms of how people are going to feel uh, the day mm-hmm. after that. And then do you actually think, given all the, you know, filibustering, if you will, I don't mean that in the official sense, but just all the kind mm-hmm. of, you know, ramrodding of stuff that has gone on. Do you think that, are you optimistic that change will, a good positive change will happen in a relatively short period of time if everything goes the way you and I 
uh, hope hope it does. What is your perspective on that? And having lived in America for so long and seeing how things uh, can and can't happen, how optimistic are you that real change will come? Well, to answer your first question quickly, <laughs> I think that people, I think that a lot of people will feel super relieved and a lot of people will feel super scared uh, about the likely near future, but they'll be scared because of totally baseless claims they've been told and that they believe about who Democrats are and what they plan to do and what people who support Democratic politicians are and what they want to happen. I've been doing a little bit of outreach to and get out the vote phone banking calls and things like that. And yeah. I've talked to some people who, when they find out that I'm calling, not in a partisan way, it's just about voter turnout, but when they find out that the organization sponsoring the phone bank is a democratic organization, they start talking to me about how they believe that I want babies to die and mm-hmm. how, you know, and then all the things that go along with that, but like these conspiracy theories about consuming blood and just totally ridiculous things. But so I think the people that believe that stuff will be really sincerely afraid that bad things are going to happen. And I hope that there's a way that we can reach them to say that those things are lies. A lot of times those are, have anti-Semitic roots and they have racist roots and and hopefully comfort them to say like actually what we want to happen is for people to be healthier and safer and whatnot. But um, yeah. Uh, as far as uh, you know, whether your second question about whether meaningful change will happen, I think that really I think hopefully we'll be able to stem the tide of negative things that have been happening. So sort of just like a in a reactive way hopefully be able to maybe undo some executive orders, maybe put some short-term protective measures in place that just correct some really pressing immediate concerns. It's it's an interesting question because people who are very far on the left and who have backgrounds in community organizing and political theory and things like that, I think aren't very hopeful that electing Joe Biden will change the foundational things that are sort of at the root of why life is so hard for so many people right now or for uh, in America in general like they don't believe that Joe Biden is going to be able to address the economic forces that you know cause monopolies and cause people to have no guarantee to housing or food and basic necessities and so on that level, I don't think we can really hope for just really, really deep systemic changes, but it's absolutely still necessary to elect the people we're trying to elect because, or rather I would say, but I do think we can hope for really, really important shorter term things that you know we absolutely need to stop people from getting hurt. And then also I should... I can't forget to mention all the important legislation that we need to pass to stem the climate crisis and which I think Joe Biden will be able to to steward through Congress. Yeah, well, I appreciate your engagement with uh, these issues and, and even my line of questioning. I think uh, I've, I personally feel like he and Kamala Harris are saying things uh, that will get them elected uh, in a, uh, sorry, I mean this in a positive way. I think the fracking and the climate mm-hmm. change and the 
what are we going to do with the Supreme Court? I feel like they're they're kind of they're being a bit cautious about what they give away now. But my sense is, you know, when they actually get in, they'll just start doing the stuff a little bit. I hope because as a Canadian, I am a big fan of your most. Uh, Canadian politician Bernie Sanders. He was like my guy. He seemed very Canadian, <laughs> and uh, he seemed to have the yeah. same sort of sense of collective good that I appreciate. You know, so I, I, mm-hmm. and I feel like his his whole being and part of the process was to try to influence people like like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to to shift over. And I feel like they have, and I think they will. That's that's what I want to say about it. So I'm hopeful. I appreciate your. Your hope as well. I, I was just texting a friend today about this. I do think your country in particular has an issue where opinions have become facts. Like it's interchangeable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to argue or have a meaningful discussion with someone when they think their opinion is the truth and the facts don't matter. Right. Have you experienced this in your daily life with your friends where you're like, no, that's that's not actually based on anything. That's just something you believe. Do you have these kinds of conversations? It sounds like you did with some of the people you had to cold call, but in your social group, in your community, are you seeing people like not take facts into consideration and just go with what they what they feel is right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And I don't really encounter that in my pers- in my daily life with friends or family and things like that. Okay. But the way I the way I do encounter it is um or the way I think about it is there's this idea that or a phrase I see repeated from people on the right pretty often is facts don't care about your feelings. And they say that as sort of like a rallying cry because they believe that people on the left or protesters are totally impulsively acting on their feelings and they're crybabies and they want things that they don't deserve and stuff like that. But I think that it's pretty backwards because yeah. fun, fun, fundamentally, I think... A couple things. One, it's like f- feelings are important. <laughs> you have, they have feelings too. We have feelings. the The issue isn't whether or not we need to have feelings or care about each other's feelings or our own feelings, but the issue is how we respond to them and how we how we choose to behave based on them or yeah. not based on yeah. them or whatever. Yeah. And just this whole this whole denial. I think they they like the idea that they are stoic, totally rationally minded people. And they you see this in like you know like the intellectual faction of the right, like people like Jordan Peterson who are actual professors, mm-hmm. and they're having classes about logic and having classes online courses about how to logically prove things and and prove things to other people and to all of that. They say, one, like, logic has nothing to do with the sorts of things that we're talking about. You can, logic is only about whether the things that you're saying actually support the conclusion you're trying to reach. But logic, by definition, can't prove anything about the actual world around us because you still, ultimately, the only thing that determines whether your uh, premises are are sound or not sound, or your premises are true or not true. Mm Mm-hmm is actually observing and just and judging those premises that's got nothing to do with logic logic is just about the rules of how the premises all connect to each other and what they build up to oh god i'm getting a little bit off the rails no no but, no it's fine i brought um, it up i brought it up by the way i feel like i yeah bernie sanders feels more canadian than jordan peterson if i might add i we're not a big fans here of, oh for sure of jordan here I, I most of us anyway and i think you're right there's this whole 
typifying thing. You know, people are a certain way and that's mm-hmm. all they are, these broad generalizations. But I don't know. The yeah. more I consume American media, it feels like and, – and then they go to these undecided voters or they go to the to, into the heart mm-hmm. of some of these – and you're just like – it seems like how do you have a rational discussion, a logical discussion with someone who is mostly – yeah, you know, reacting with their feelings, like what you just said about how the the right seems to, you know, de- degrade the left by saying, "Oh, that's all just passion. You're not thinking." I feel like it's the opposite, and I yeah. feel like a lot of a lot of what the right does and says tends to be this projection, mm-hmm. and it's just meant mm-hmm. to disarm us all into having a normal conversation. And it's it's very confusing, and uh, it's why people take things kind of. They often take matters into their own hands, but right now the matters are, are facts becoming opinions and not facts, if that makes any sense. Like, it's very confusing. And anyway, yeah. I feel like some of this, like I said <laughs> moments ago, might feed mm-hmm. into the mindset of some of the subjects in your new book. I'm trying to segue from our political discussion <laughs> uh, into uh, this, uh, you know, talk about your excellent new uh, book, Mirror Sound. Uh, and I wonder if, uh, before I go too much further, can you sort of summarize or explain uh, what Mirror Sound is all about? Yeah, uh, Mirror Sound is a book. It's a kind of a large uh, art book, photo book format book about musicians who record at home or record in their own studios. Basically, people who make records in any sort of non-traditional way where they're a part of the process from the technical side and all the way or from the songwriting all the way to the technical side and um, kind of acting as artists and engineers at the same time. Right. And you made the book with uh, a couple of collaborators, correct? Yeah. I collaborated with uh, graphic designer Lawrence Azerod um, on the book and he and I kind of developed the concept together and a photographer, Daniel Topete, whose photos are the backbone of the book and just unbelievably beautiful in my opinion. Yeah, they're lovely. It's a it's a wonderfully uh, uh, designed book, if I might say. Uh, Azarad uh, stuck out for me uh, because of my mm-hmm. love of the author Michael Azarad. Uh, is is Lawrence related to yeah. him? Yeah, yeah, they're cousins. That's that's odd. So you got Spencer Tweedy. We <laughs> all some of us know your dad, Jeff, mm-hmm. and your mom. <laughs> By the way, how's your mom doing? I always like to ask. Uh, because I'm Facebook friends with your mom. Oh, yeah. And I, I know she's had some, some struggles uh, with her health over the last 10, 15 years, it feels like. Yeah. As long as I've been on Facebook almost. Uh, how's she doing? She's she's doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, she's, okay, she's doing good. pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I always uh, love uh, her posts. And uh, I don't know her personally. I know we have lots of mutual friends. Some, you know how Facebook, when it started, you're just... You're just like, oh yeah, mutual friend. Sure, I'll. Now I don't do it anymore, but <laughs> yeah, totally. I, you know, she's a figure that has loomed large in the. I'm a big fan of Chicago mm-hmm. and Chicago music, and so anyway, there's like a lot of stuff. Anyway, we have lots of mutual friends, so I'm <laughs> glad she's doing well. Anyway, so yeah, that's funny. You got Spencer Tweedy, Lawrence Azarad. So something going on here with the next generation <laughs> <laughs> of uh, people interested in underground culture and music. That's yeah. fascinating in itself. Did, are you friendly with Lawrence, or was it just a? A, cl- a working relationship. Oh, we're we're pretty close. Um, I've known him for a really long time because he has designed Lawrence Azarad has designed um, like seven or eight album packages for Wilco for my dad over the years. Um, and in that time, we've become friends. 
Oh, nice. Okay. Well, t- uh, so Lawrence's dad, Michael, and I have spoken many times, and he, Michael's been on the show. Uh, so <laughs> so it's it's all coming. And your dad's been on the show, actually. It's all coming yeah. full circle. Anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful idea for a book. And as I alluded to near the top of this conversation, I think it's timely, uh, given uh, how, mon- how many of us are trying to do uh, some work from our home spaces or spaces that are would be considered uh, unconventional, some might say less than professional, which is a horrible thing to say, I, I think, uh, having read your book. Um, what exactly motivated you to want to explore uh, this idea of sort of independent, or I should be careful here because you, you have, there's a wonderful section in your book where you do a, a distinction between independence and interdependence, which I found fascinating. Oh, thank um, you. And I'll ask you about that in a uh, yeah, I'll ask you about that in a moment in terms of music making. But but first of all, yes, what exactly prompted you to, to to explore this? And I within that was was the idea inspired because of the pandemic, or did all of this happen? Before? I, I'm gathering most of this happened before we found ourselves in this weird mode of mostly you know self isolating. Can you speak to those two things? Was it because of what's going on right now that prompted you to, to, to think, yeah, this, this idea has legs, or has this been germinating for, for longer uh, than that? Uh, we finished the book totally before uh, the pandemic started at all. So Interesting. It's, okay. uh, it's a, a coincidence that it feels so relevant right now, and I won't say it's a happy coincidence, although I do, help, I do hope that whatever helpfulness that the book contains or inspiration or anything like that is, um, you know, even more important and helpful in light of the fact that we're all now largely stuck at home. It do. Yeah. It feels very topical somehow, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It was an accident. I'm just, I just won't say it was a happy accident because there's nothing, because there's nothing happy about what people are going through, but yeah. And, uh, Oh, as far as uh, why I was motivated to make the book, it was largely because I think that albums, I think that music um, that's made by one person or maybe one small group of really close collaborators working in their own space or working self-engineering and using tools that they love and sort of being involved in every aspect of the process tends to have... A, a unique sound and I think it has some cohesive just gel in it that makes it really special to me and so I was thinking about records made that way like records made by Emmett Rhodes and more recently by Kevin Parker and Tame Impala and just tons and tons of artists who work this way and how it's kind of a thread that connects them I think there's something sp- I'm a drummer primarily a drummer so I always think about it in terms of a rhythm section and it's really really special when a drummer and a bass player in a rhythm section have a good relationship and they kind of you know they just sound great together and can anticipate each other's moves and just respect each other i think you can hear those good relationships and then mm-hmm. when chemistry the rhythm call it, we, we call yeah. it we call it chemistry i guess right yeah 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 chemistry for short and those relationships are really special but then a simple way to put it, uh, why I was motivated to make Mirror Sound, is that that chemistry is is off the charts when the person playing the 
drums on the track and the person playing the bass is literally the same person <laughs> multi-tracking <laughs> overdubbing their own uh you know multiple instruments on top of each other it's just it just allows for things that are allows for compositions that are intricate because you know the the same mind is producing every little aspect of it and or at least in in many cases that's the case and i really love that and i think it produces special music I, I share many of your sentiments there. I, too, am primarily someone who plays the drums. If I, That's mm-hmm. the role I've played in most of the bands I've, I've been in. Um, and in isolation, I've been trying to learn how to, to, to play guitar more. But, yeah, your book had me, and I moved recently to a house where I can actually have my drum kit set up. And that hasn't happened oh, in, nice. like, 20 years. Yeah, so it's set up, and I read your book, and I was like, and I there's a fella here in Canada... Uh, he goes by the name Daniel Romano. I don't know if you know Daniel Romano, uh, but he's a great uh, and prolific musical artist. He's released 10 albums this year. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, it's, he's fantastic. I'm a big fan. And and I asked him, like, he's got a project where it's called Ancient Shapes, and it's like his like kind of more of a punk thing. And he begins every Ancient Shapes record by playing the drums. And he says he has oh, no yeah. idea. He just plays beats and records them in his home studio and then after he layers the lyrics and the all the instrumentation on after and i just i i found that puzzling have you done something like that have you as the drummer i said do you by the way do you play other instruments yeah i play some guitar and just enough keyboard to get ideas across alone <laughs> if there's nobody right. waiting for me to figure it out <laughs> it's interesting cuz you're you talk about the the singular chemistry of someone mm-hmm. making something by themselves in isolation. You come from like a bloodline where you play with your brother, Sam, right? Uh-huh. And then you play with your dad, Jeff, and, and then and your mom, Sue. Sometimes she joins in too, right? Uh, she's pretty stage shy, and she does play guitar, but she doesn't really, <laughs> she doesn't allow us to enjoy that very often. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My point, though, is that you've got a family, the family band, that's a whole yeah. other... Yeah. kind of chemistry where people harmonize and it's like the same voice only. it's beautiful and that's mm-hmm. something else like that is chemistry then you talk about people recording everything by themselves like yourself mm-hmm. like like I mentioned Dan like I'm thinking I read your book and then your dad has a book out right now called uh, How to Write One Song so there's mm-hmm. some I, I've been so motivated by the Tweety family <laughs> to actually it's go hard. down and try to make some songs that I, yeah. now I'm like do I have to I, I don't I have a little mixer that I uh, I take with me to record interviews, and it's got six inputs in it. Nice. And uh, but I have I have and I have six mics. I don't have enough stands. But I was reading your book, and I'm like, I'm going to go buy some stands so I can yes. properly mic my drum kit and nice. and just try to make a bunch of beats. Is that is that part of the motivation for this book? Is to get people like me, delusional idiots, to think that we can <laughs> do everything that you can do? Yeah, I mean if. Yes, if that's if it's fun and if you want to do that, which it sounds like it is, I absolutely. I think I think it's really that's really exciting to me that it could uh that it could help inspire someone or break out of some uh you know some fears of like uh you know some some creative blocks. Yeah. And so I I ask these questions because there are moments in your prose 
where things get a little technical, but I feel like you've mm-hmm. made it access, as accessible as possible. Like it's a little, mm-hmm. some of it, would you agree? Some of it's a little inside. You're talking about compressors and all these different kinds of gadgets and things, but the rest of it is kind of just talking to people about how they uh-huh. do stuff. You need, you need kind of a balance of that, right? Like this is not, on some level, this requires a certain amount of expertise to pull off, right? Uh, I don't really think so. I mean, I tried to, the goal was to make it as accessible as possible. There are a couple of technical terms like compressors and equalizers or just names of general, um, sure, general yeah. categories of equipment. But, uh, the idea is hopefully that there's enough of a basic description of those things included to be able to know roughly what artists are talking about. And generally it's, it stays away from that stuff because it focuses on, all of the more on the creative side and more on like uh to go back to feelings like uh around like the emotional life of artists and how they decide to make what they make yeah well i i I had brought up your family connection there and i was trying i was going somewhere with that actually because the distinction between playing with people that you have a chemical Mm -hmm. reaction with and doing everything yourself like i think you were trying to say that someone who plays the bass and the drums on the same track is going to be intimately connected with those parts. And, yeah. and that's that's true. That's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But what is what you're talking about and, and some of the examples in this book of people just, and you know I mentioned Dan Romano earlier, people who just do everything themselves, what does that say about maybe the social aspect of music? Because to me, I don't know about you, but like I've loved bands... Uh, my yeah. whole life, like the notion of a band, a gang of people getting together. And then as time goes on, due to circumstances maybe within or outside of their control, someone leaves the band and mm-hmm. someone else is brought in and maybe they do a reunion tour with that person or something. And I always, I don't know what this says about me. I have some issues with things changing. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that right now. I admit it. But there's something yeah. about that band chemistry that's lost, isn't it? So... I think like I see the band and they've got a new drummer or a new bass player or whatever it is. I'm like, eh, I, you know, we all, do you have that? Do you clamor for the original version of the group sometimes? Do you ever think that? Well, not necessarily for the original version, but I totally get what you're saying about loving the chemistry of a group and loving the special things that happen when, when multiple people play music together and with people who like each other play music together or 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 if they don't like each other at least they kind of see they can connect and they have some sort of like they're communicating musically that's that's like one of the most special things in the world and i think it produces great music so the idea behind uh mirror sound and the idea of musicians who produce records alone or sort of alone isn't that it's better than bands or better than music that's made in a group but rather just that it can be a really cool way to work it does tend to produce this stuff that i think has its own unique thing going on um but also a lot of the artists in the book play in groups too or they or part of their self-engineering is uh is with a band or with friends that they invite over one at a time to overdub different parts on the recording and things like that so there's like there's a wide range of collaboration versus totally solitary creativity and and it's I think I I think that uh it's nice when people are able to have both in their life there's they both just bring just bring different things to the recording and they're satisfying in different ways 
Yeah, I, I think the other part of the social thing is that I assume, like I was listening to some Emmett Rhodes records because of your book, and mm-hmm. to- totally magical uh, records uh, that this, uh, he's passed away, I believe, but uh, he mm-hmm. he did everything himself, right? And I, and I think... All I can need like vocal harmonies and layers of sounds and all these things. And all I can think of is like, that seems like a lot of work. Like I haven't gone and gotten the mic stands yet because I'm like, oh, so I'm going to have to do everything myself and make it up. And so there's part of me and I'm busy. So it's it's kind of a, it's a weird lark. I'm not as, I have written and recorded songs in my past for sure. But the idea of now switching gears and going down and doing that every once in a while it's a lot of work, isn't it, to do everything yourself? Would you say, have you done this yourself? Have you built a song up completely with all the layers and all the stuff all on your own? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, it, and, it is, and it is a lot of work. But when it's going, when, it's, when the process gets going and things are, you know, feeling, the music is feeling good and your ideas are kind of um, exciting and you're, like, entertaining yourself, it it feels like the time passes really quickly and all of the difficult or kind of menial things of setting up stands or moving a microphone and whatever um, all feels worth it. It's like the pain gets forgotten and the rewards (laughs) get remembered. (laughs) But it is hard. And and Emmett Rhodes himself actually... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mentioned in... um in the interview I did with him that he was really at some point just didn't want to press the button anymore. Like he was tired and that's totally understandable because sometimes, sometimes the menial tasks do feel like a slog. Yeah. There are a couple of subjects in your book that talk about, you know, how resourceful uh, they've had to become uh, to, to figure this out on their own. Uh, Some also, say that they've chose to do things on their own because of negative experiences uh, that they had in actual, you know, studios working with external engineers. Uh, How much of what Mirror Sound is all about uh, has to do with sort of just uh, control? Not to plug the name of this show, but creative control, in fact. Yeah. The notion of actually, like, I can do this, like, I don't need someone second-guessing my vision of this. uh, How much of a factor does that seem to play... Uh, throughout uh, the, the the interviews you've done with these people, the stories you've heard, is control a major factor here? Def- it definitely is. And um, that question that you're raising was one of the most, one of the biggest questions that I struggled with while 
we were making the book because on one hand it started to feel like there's a lot of a uh, you know there's a lot of negative negativity associated with control because colloquially control is associated with like being a control freak or like not being able to tolerate the input of others and or having sort of an authoritarian personality um so at some point i, I was trying to think through like you know as a self-recording musician is it really just that we're like not very tolerant or open to other people's ideas and so do we work in solitude because it's sort of like an anti-social behavior yeah and i thought and i thought about it like that that to me is a really serious concern because um you know we want to that this it's just kind of it closes yourself off and it also i think closes the world off to a lot of uh whatever it's just important to it's important to be open to other people's ideas and so i wanted to think about that and i think i think it's kind of just um the fact that control enters the picture is i think it's just sort of an imprecision of language because it seems like what artists musicians talk about building their own recording space or buying their own tools so that they can have control but it seems like it's actually about freedom it's actually about empowering themselves to be able to do what they want to do apart from other structures or other people who had too much control in the first place so it's not necessarily about like being a totalitarian like i get to do everything my way and more so about just having the freedom to do stuff that's satisfying to them and to feel empowered and and all of those positive things. Although that said, as someone who self-records too, that is a really satisfying part of it. Sometimes you just want to be able to do your creative project and not have to navigate any of the social aspects that come with collaborating with other people. I think that's totally okay. You know, that doesn't make people, uh, that doesn't make anybody bad um, or antisocial. <laughs> it just means that some, some t- sometimes you want your own corner too. So that, yeah, that's where I think control enters the picture. Well, I wonder if this, you know, we kind of talked about, or I did anyway, talked about how this book has some instructive components. And I feel like it could be just as instructive for engineers, for producers, mm-hmm. you know, to hear these sort of testimonials about what, people because you very rarely can say to it unless you have a big fight you can re- you very rarely can say to an engineer or a producer you're working with like i don't appreciate this like uh, yeah you, you know the distinction you're making between control and freedom is interesting but within all that there's constructive criticism or there's a, just a good tip <laughs> that you know maybe you don't yeah. want to that's probably not going to work out and and someone might be like you're you know you're infringing upon my vision here and and on some level they might be on another might be right it's confusing like there's an interesting quote here uh, in your book from i believe it's from greta kiln am i pronouncing uh, greta's name correctly from frankie cosmos uh greta klein oh i'm sorry klein there you go i i have clay yeah. on the mind i need uh, my children they like making oh, yeah. things i'm sorry <laughs> greta klein yes from frankie cosmos says uh the first couple mm-hmm. times that I've ever made records with collaborators, I was really freaked out to let go of my little insular process. I didn't like sharing. <laughs> and I'm that's mm-hmm. that's that's a bit out of context, but there is this weird thing where yeah. you've made something and have an idea of what it's going to be like at the end, but you got to rely on all these other people 
to bring it to fruition. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't help but feel like these people are people, and they're going to help me, but they're also kind of obstacles. Right. There's, there's sort of obstacles in the way of me getting to where I want to go. And so I, I, I just bring this up because, like I said, I feel like this is a topical book. We are getting a little inward. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. Like, I rarely yeah. I go get groceries. My kids and I, my, my wife and I, were all in the house all the time. You know, they, they're doing virtual school. Yeah. I, I can feel it. Sorry, I'm not trying to have a panic attack on the during the interview with you. But <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just like an insular time, and we're getting really inward. And social constructs and social communication is frayed. And so part of that, and yeah. I'm not saying that's a negative. It's a negative part of your book. But it is fascinating how many musicians I've talked to that said, to be honest, pandemic lockdown, I was already there. I sit in my house, and I right. make my records, I go out when I, I go on tour when I have to, and I go get stuff when I have to. But honestly, I'm kind of a hermit. I'm right. writing songs. I'm recording them in my house. It's been very commonplace. So I guess I'm wondering if all of this self-recording has been prescient. Has it prepared everyone for the world in the next couple of years? Like It kind of feels that way. I don't want to suggest you're some sort of wizard or sorcerer. But do you, <laughs> do you feel like maybe those of you who self-record, you were kind of onto something given what we're all going through right now, don't you think? Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> definitely not going to claim any any wizard abilities. But yeah, I think, we're, <laughs> I think what you're saying makes sense. And I can speak from my family's perspective. You were mentioning your friends who, who are musicians and who already kind of had the same or for whom the pandemic hasn't really changed their lifestyle. And that's definitely been the case for my family mm. mostly because um, when my dad isn't on tour, his routine is to be at home, write songs or and be at the studio recording songs. And to an extent that's been my life uh, for the past several years too. Yeah. So yeah, I think some musicians and some artists who... It, who have been lucky to live that crazy or set that that pretty um special creative lifestyle where or have maybe gotten a head start on navigating all this time spent at home but i think the important thing throughout all of it like you were mentioning feeling maybe i'm uh, maybe i'm reading into it wrong but it sounded like you were mentioning feeling maybe a little bit stifled by constantly being at home and uh, well, no, not let, being able to escape family. Let me interject and say, oh, let ahead. me interject and ju- yeah. I don't want to paint a negative photo, a picture of this or a photo. Suddenly I'm a photographer. Yeah. <laughs> let me just say that I too have thought in the last mm-hmm. few months, like right now it's been a bit weird. The winter is coming uh, and it's going to get more and more unlikely that you'll feel like going for an outdoor walk or going to the park and all that stuff, which we've been able to do. By and large, this has been revelatory on a professional level for me because I don't have to commute to my, you know, the the place, my work. I don't have to go to the office. Uh, you know, everything's at my fingertips. Like, I don't, I'm not bothered by people. Does that come across misanthropic or something? Like, I like people. I believe in people. No, no. I like being not on the bus and yeah. the subway and in traffic. I like to just get up and start. It's so yeah. efficient. So there's part, like I get up, you know, feed the family, uh, the food. They're not livestock. I make food. I make actual food for my family and for <laughs> breakfast. And then, then I carry on with my day. And it's right here. I could be in my pajamas. Yeah. You don't, you can't see me. I'm not in my pajamas, but I could be. That's great. <laughs> and so I feel like everything, right. like some of these people in your book 
feel like a little bit like they've been kind of misled, mm-hmm. lied to. Like they, it's like a revelation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can do this myself. I don't have to spend six hundred dollars a day at your studio. I can just get up. And when the inspiration strikes, like your dad says it all the time, when I have inspiration, I yeah. I have my phone. I can record on my voice memos. I can go. I have it in my own studio. It's great. So I feel like it's. I just want to be clear. I don't dislike it. It's sad, and I feel badly for anyone who's lost someone or is sick, but this has been mm-hmm. totally a revolution. It's like all the shit they told us we had to do. I had to, you know, commute and do take a laptop from my house to their office. Don't have to do it anymore. And that's, isn't that good? Like, I feel like part yeah. of the book, the strength of the book and the timing thing is, this is how a lot of us are feeling, like this sense of discovery. Oh, I can be kind of self-sufficient. And that's what, I just want to be clear. I love my family. It's a little challenging. They're, my yeah. kids are young. You're you're like a, an adult. My, <laughs> my son is nine and my daughter <laughs> is five. So it's sad. So they're a little lonely <laughs> and they, you know, there's, it's different. But I'm just going to, I just want to, yeah. I just wanted to interject. It's been a long interjection and say, I'm <laughs> relatively okay with how everything's going. And I relate, I relate no, yeah. to these sort of self-sufficient models that are, you know, part of your book. I think it's great, if I may say. So, yeah. Okay, no, totally. does that help? Okay, okay, good. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, I I also remind myself that ultimately all of the commuting and the lots of people around us all the time and even, like, office life are uh, not the way everybody lives. And um, Yeah, that's true. I, I don't take I, it for granted either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. Way. No, I... I, 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 I uh, I don't mean to say that as if I'm pointing out uh, something that you missed or anything. <laughs> no, just, you, you, you alluded to your own privilege, and I feel privileged that I have an, a job and a workplace that, uh, you know, currently that enables me and has said, yeah, no, there's no point in all of us congregating and my wife in the same. Yeah. We're lucky. I feel very lucky, and I'm trying to appreciate this, but I do think yeah. a, a book like yours is going to be revelatory for musicians. and. Like I said, mm-hmm. I think it could be revelatory for engineers and producers who think or wonder, well, why don't people come back to our studio? Was I a jerk to them? Was I, you know, yeah. did did I say something that stifled them instead of inspiring them to create in the moment? Like, yeah, yeah. I, just a lot of the heavy hands that have been on some of us are kind of having to lift out of circumstance. And I think that's freeing us, liberating us to think a bit differently about how we work, where we work. Yeah. And I feel like that's a big part of your book. Yeah. Well, that thank you. I think that's a cool way of putting it. And um it's funny that you that little picture you just painted about it, an engineer in a traditional studio asking uh them themselves why what's going on? Why don't artists want to work with me or something and reflecting on whether they've been kind enough because I don't, I'm not saying, I don't think that there's like an epidemic of unkind engineers in traditional studios. Uh, and I also don't think that the things that self-recording artists, uh, the musicians in, in the book, the things that motivated them to start working on their own or to start controlling the, you know, their own tools and how they make records. Um, I don't think that those things are even unique to our industry. I I think there's a section no. that talks about this in the book a little bit. It's not as if um, the traditional structure, the traditional structures of making records and or and releasing records are like uniquely full of 
rude people or bigoted people or over controlling people. That's it's just about these like general things where, and we have I happen to be focusing on how they relate to music because that's the the medium that is in that's the industry that that I love and that I wanted to explore. But um, yeah. But as far but as it's there, I mean, yeah. I, it is there, though. Would you agree? I mean, any of us who have toured with anyone who is a non-white male yeah. uh, and encountered a different engineer in a different city has had a weird experience. Where Definitely. I, I guess I, I never really saw myself as a person of color so much until... Sorry, I, I always say this, and it's true. I never really yeah, yeah. am aware of my difference until some lunkhead points it out. Mm-hmm. And I, you, the more you, you talk to women or anyone else who does not identify as a straight white male, you right. you start to hear the stories. Right. And I've experienced them. I've witnessed them. I've witnessed engineers be rude and dismissive of people that they assume don't know what they're talking about because there is also, I think, and right. I don't want to paint a general brush, there's lots of beautiful, sweet, kind producers and engineers, yeah. but some of them are, let's just say it, embittered, failed musicians. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and a lot yeah. of the resentment they have towards the, their lo, their lot in life comes out and mm-hmm. kind of projecting it against the person who has made something really magical happen for themselves. And I feel like there's some of that swimming around in there too. And oh, I know yeah. like Yuka, Yuka Honda from Chibo Mato and a few others in mm-hmm. your book, I think, talk about you know being in studios and mm-hmm. and having to recognize that in people that they are. On some level, they're there to help you. On another, they're there to challenge you. And in some cases, they're there. They seem there to sort of stifle your impulses, and that's that's strange. And so, yeah, I think that's swimming around in the subtext of your book as well. Yeah, I'm definitely. And yeah, I've seen that too when I play shows with my girlfriend's band that she leads. She's the it's her band, and she's the songwriter. We walk in the door at a venue and. I mean, this won't even be a surprising story to no. other musicians listening or other, probably lots of other people. But we walk in the door and, and it, she's usually invisible and they talk to me or any of mm-hmm. the other members of the band uh, to call the shots. And then it's as if like, you know, oh my God, you're in charge. How's that possible? But, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah. like on, on, a, on, a, on like a positive note, I want to say that there's something extremely, extremely beautiful about traditional studios to me because, you know, at its best, it's a traditional studio is a place where engineers with whom a musician has a good relationship can have a dedicated space to collaborate. And it's a dedicated separate space where lots of other people can be a part of it. And I think that's a that's an important part of society i'm glad we're at a place where recording studios exist i don't want them to go away it's just that they always need to be built around respectful relationships and reasons that people want to be there also engineers are creative people too that's kind of the point of the book is that when when musicians decide to take control of the technical aspects of of producing music they're becoming engineers they are engineers and engineering is ultimately a creative act so i think like engineers that primarily work in traditional studios or whose main creative work is producing other people are creative people too and yeah i don't know where i was going with that but it's just i love the idea (laughs) of having dedicated dedicated spaces for it too 
those spaces are so magical in their own right. They're so full of history, and uh, obviously they have been, uh, you know, calibrated to sound about the best they can. Like, I've been in spaces like that, and you're just like, wow, like, to be in electrical audio in Chicago and be like, wow. Yeah. So much amazing stuff has happened in this room, and it... And I've been in studios like that in Toronto, where I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to make a record in this place that so-and-so made a record. And they they end up kind of, it's all psychological, but they kind of haunt you mm-hmm. um, in a nice way, hopefully. Uh, and so I think yeah. that's inspirational uh, as well. And I think, uh, yeah, I think there's lots to chew on in your book in terms of all of these sort of issues and, and the stories are great. Um, I did want to ask, since we're talking about inspiration, uh, I alluded to this mm-hmm. earlier. This is interesting to me that you have a book out called Mirror Sound. And I said this, your dad has a book called How to Write One Song. And they're both, as I said, I think they're interesting stories, but they're very instructive. Do you have a sense of where that impulse comes from maybe both of you to not only create things and and try to invent ways of creating things, but to also take the time to impart what you've learned to others. Like, I think that's a really nice, unselfish thing that both of you have done. I think it's probably a coincidence that these books are out at the same time. But I do think that that's, that's yeah. like I said, both, having read both, I'm fired up to write horrible songs on my own. <laughs> they're going to be bad. I'm just telling you, I'll do my best. I like good stuff, but I, when I go down there, I can't do it. I'm going to try. But all of that, I think a lot of people, yeah. if they process these things... Are going to be like yes, I did. I will say your dad has stuff where he talks about. Uh, hey, have you read your dad's new book? <laughs> yeah, yes, I've, I've okay. read it a few times. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I don't know why that amused me. I assume yeah. you had, but anyway, no, no, he has these. Yeah. It'd be funny if you're like, totally. no, I get enough out of that guy. Why do I need to read his book? <laughs> anyway, he's got these like word games and uh, mm-hmm. you know verb noun games, and I've been playing playing them. You know what I mean? I don't mean to say I'm playing them, but I've been doing them. Super fun. Yeah. Oh, totally. Super fun. And like I say, I read your book and I'm already like, oh, I'm scrolling. Like, how do I get used microphone stands so I can microphone, you know, I can, you know, mic my drum kit. Like, I'm doing it. Your, right. your books have got me uh, working. And I, again, my question was, <laughs> do you have a sense, this this shared impulse you and your father at least have to not only do things, but to teach people or to help people, inspire people. Mm. Do you know where that comes from? Uh, n- not really, but I think <laughs> I think it's a byproduct of having lots of different interests. And speaking for myself, I love to write, and I've been writing since I was a preteen. Like, uh, had a blog very early on in my life, and honestly, pretty early on in terms of the like the blogging uh, the. The uh, boom, the blogging boom, of blog, the blogging <laughs> boom. I guess it was sort of like second generation already, but like two thousand around two thousand six, seven, eight. It was yeah. still. I don't know. I don't know why I'm bragging about my blogging original uh, cred, but um, <laughs> but anyway, so I weird, just really weird flex I, in twenty twenty, if I might say. But still, that's good. No, you should be proud. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I am in a weird way, but uh, I just. I think mostly what it has. It's not. Uh, my dad writing uh, a book and me writing this book have less to do with altruistic uh, desires to help and more to do with just having um, 
at least for myself, having a lot of different interests. And I, I've noticed that when I love something like like recording music, I I accident or I uh, kind of impulsively start looking for ways to incorporate that into other media like or other creative pursuits like writing just because it's fun to kind of tie them all together and to like uh yeah yeah it's kind of like you can bring one interest into a lot of different areas or express it in a lot of different ways and i think for my dad it's pretty similar but um yeah the fact that the two books end up sort of interlocking with each other because how to write one song doesn't um, totally talk about making records and the recording aspect of making music and mirror sound doesn't talk very much about songwriting is a really cool thing to me. I love that they accidentally fit together in that way. Yeah. I will, yeah. I will, I, I would say that how to write one song is the more revolutionary of the two. I think that How to Write One Song <laughs> is the more is the one that you can do with nothing but a pencil or even nothing but your uh, your mind in it sitting in a room. <laughs> and that's pretty cool to me. Um, Mirror Sound ultimately does depend on some a little bit more material stuff. But I think they both, yeah, that, the, the, the fact that you're saying that it's inspired you to make quote-unquote awful songs i think is is a very that's really gratifying that makes me happy and other people will be the judge of that if you choose to share no, i think i think i think they'll be okay i i think they'll be all right <laughs> i I'll, I'll work on them but no i know you're downplaying the altruistic aspect but I, I i will say for what it's worth i have some gratitude towards you and you know if your dad was here i tell him the same thing i'm, I'm i have gratitude towards this uh because i, I think it's very important uh, when you get to a point where you've accrued knowledge and skills to, to pass it on, to, you know, to let other people know that they have an entry point because so much of what I read in your book is, you know, about people feeling closed off from yeah. certain processes and this opening themselves, you know, forcing themselves really to get into it and get into the muck of it and then coming out the other side feeling like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. Like it's very empowering so yes, both books I think are, are, are really empowering, and uh, if for what it's worth, Spencer, I think you should be proud. I think you should be proud of this book. Thank you, thank you so much. I just wanted to comment on what you said real very quickly, which is that um, for me it, it's it's kind of like capturing inspiration because when something feels really exciting to me, or when when you stumble upon some way of doing things creatively, and it feels like it opens up a bunch of doors. At least in myself, and I, I would I suspect that other people feel this too. I feel like, what can I do to write down how I got here? How can I lay the breadcrumbs to remember how to get myself back here? Um, and part of that is like a fear of not being able to get back there. It's like, uh, I wanna I wanna bottle this, and I wanna be able to access it whenever I want, and. Yeah. Basically, it's an anxiety, but it's also like an excitement to it's like, ooh, I've this feels cool. This is an exciting discovery. I want to document it. And yeah, anyway, just wanted no, to I, interject yeah. that. No, no, I appreciate that. That's I appreciate that uh, distinction as well. Um, well, the book is called Mirror Sound: uh, A Look into the People and Processes Behind Self-Recorded Music. It's uh, out now via Prestel, I believe. Yes, Prestel is that the the place? Yeah, yeah, Presto. Okay. 
Prestel. Okay, there you go. I see I'm mispronouncing things today. I don't know what's wrong with me. I apologize. <laughs> yes. Prestel. And uh, is there, if, if people want to learn more about uh, this book and you, uh, where would you want to send them exactly? They could go to mirrorsoundbook.com or they could go to spencertweedy.com and all the, they could find all the info there. Okay. Rad. Now, normally I go out on a song by my guests if they're musicians, and you are a musician, Spencer. Let's not beat around the bush. You you make songs. <laughs> uh, is there something yeah. that you've contributed to uh, or something you've made recently that uh, we can share with the people right now? Yeah, I, I would love to share really any song off of our new album, Love is the King, that my dad put out this month. But if... We were picking a specific song. Maybe Gwendolyn would be a good choice, or really, I, I would be excited to share any of them from that. Okay, album. Gwen, Gwendolyn's a, a lovely song. It was one of the uh, the, the mm-hmm. singles, as I recall. What do you want to tell us yeah. about that song? Does anything about the the conception or creation or capturing of that song perhaps relate to anything we've been talking about, or anything to do with? Uh, any of the practices illustrated in your book by chance? A little bit because, um, like you mentioned, my dad records song ideas on voice memos uh, on his phone. And the way that he works to make the final recordings for songs is ultimately pretty uh, self-controlled. We work with an engineer, a dedicated engineer, Tom Schick, so my dad isn't necessarily directly twisting the knobs and pushing buttons on recording equipment, but I think a lot of the same ideas are at play at the loft, the Wilco loft where my dad records. Going back to why he started setting up the Wilco loft, why he and other members in Wilco started making the loft, which was they're getting you know, advances from... Uh, record labels to make records and they thought well why don't we instead of booking time in a traditional studio why don't we start putting some recording equipment in our warehouse space and see if we can you know do this ourselves and it has just kind of stuck and still he still works that way um right so yeah it's it's related i would say it's related in that way well, uh, I I love the song Gwendolyn, uh, and I'm not trying to uh, downplay it in any way, but I just want to take a second to congratulate you or commend you on the drum beat for the song Natural Disaster. Is that okay? <laughs> Can I do that? Oh, thank you. It's a good one. Yeah, I will, I'll accept it. It's a it. good one. I like I'll it. Accept it's, it. It's, it's a subtle kind of shuffle thing, and I don't want to... Do, people should check out uh, Natural Disaster as well, but we're going to go out on Gwendolyn because that was Spencer's choice. And I like to honor my guest choices. So this is Gwendolyn uh, by Jeff Tweedy and his sons, Spencer and Sam. Uh, Spencer, this was a, a, a real pleasure to get to speak with you about Mirror Sound, and I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for this, and best of luck with everything going forward. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, too. Hey 
fun nice to have spencer tweedy on this the 586th episode of creative control thank you spencer thank you for being on creative control which is part of the entertainment one podcast network and uh, available wherever it is that you uh, get your podcast so i don't know how you're listening to this right now presumably presumably you're using the thing you like to use but if you're not using the thing you like to use you're using this something kind of begrudgingly like oh i wish i could be using the thing i actually like to use it's, the show is probably there. It's on Apple and Google and Spotify and, and all sorts of things. So uh, whatever it is you use, search for Creative Control and it will be there. Uh, if you can't, for some reason, find an episode of the show that you've heard about. You heard uh, uh, me reference the fact that uh, Spencer's dad, Jeff Tweedy, was on the show. Well, I don't know how far you know far back that goes, but sometimes there's like caps, feed caps, you know, that, that, that only have like 100 episodes of a show, even though there's like... In my case, there's almost 600 episodes. Anyway, if you're looking for an episode and it's not in your favorite thing, uh, or if you want to sign up for my uh, monthly newsletter, uh, all of that stuff is at my website. You can learn how to do all of those things at vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on uh, Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative. You can also follow me 
on Twitter or Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to uh, sustain this podcast to keep it going. Uh, $6 or more gets you uh, access to exclusive audio content. So please consider going to patreon.com slash creative control and uh, making a flexible monthly donation today. Oh, you can also make annual donations now. I, they want me to, well, they don't want me to tell you that, but I, that's a new thing. So if you want, you can, someone just did that. They, for the whole year, they, uh, they donated like 40 bucks. That's great. That's nice. It's very nice. So you can do that too. I just wanted to correct myself. Anyway, thanks again to, uh, who can I thank here? Oh, in kind support. Why don't I thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in, in kind support for this show. Also, uh, my friend Jim Guthrie, wonderful musician. Uh, actually, in the spirit of home recording, he was a home recording guru when we all lived in Guelph before he moved to Toronto, and now he makes he has a little home studio himself in Toronto. Jim is, uh, like I say, he was one of the uh, first people I encountered, many people encountered, who figured out how to record things at home. And uh, he's a great guy. And you can learn more about him and his music, mostly all homemade, at jimguthrie.org also you thank you for listening to this episode with spencer i hope you enjoyed it and uh, if, if you enjoyed what you heard today i hope you'll check out other episodes of the show maybe follow the podcast or subscribe to it or something or, or tell your friends about it that's always a, a nice thing uh, or just just carry on with your day you don't have to do anything i just said it's really up to you it's a free country depending on where you live it's, hopefully it's a free country okay i'm gonna go i I feel like I'm saying things I shouldn't. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.